Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Alistair Gordon on the line. How are you today? I'm very well indeed. Thank you, Michael. I am so glad to have you here. You have an amazing background. You're doing some great work, and we're going to talk about experts and how their time has come. So why don't you share with the audience a little bit about you, and uh, then we'll dive right into the conversation. Yes, okay. Thank you, and thank you so much for the invite. So um, I've, I've spent about half of my life as a publisher of things called magazines. You might remember, Michael, what they were once upon a time. Um, and um, a lot of those magazines, funnily enough, were um, IT magazines and, you know, read by, you know, technical experts and, and their managers. And, um, and then my second part of my life really has been about being an executive coach and, and um, a leadership development consultant. And then uh, this sort of final four or five years that we've been working on this thing called expertship where we've been developing technical experts and, and helping them be the best experts they can be. And it's kind of full circle, Michael. I feel like I started off working with technical experts and I'm, I'm back there again doing, um, you know, but I think probably helping them far more now than, than I was then, if that makes sense. Well, it does because your experience and the tools that you picked up along the way, you use them now. And of course you're using the, the skills that you had when you first started working with those experts you know, in the early days of your career, and now here we are full circle. And I find that happens a lot in my own personal career. You know, I did a lot of different things, but what I find is I have tools from every one of those experiences and I use them, you know, in in my daily life and the things that I do. And I don't even necessarily think about it going, okay, well, I picked this up when I was working Mm -hmm. in accounting, or I was doing this when I worked in IT, or this was healthcare, or this was nonprofit, or my own business, I don't think about okay, where did I pick that up? I just I just know how to use it. I use it. it just coalesced, doesn't it? Really, it is. It is. So, so let's dive into experts. And you said in the pre-show where you think their time is is finally come. So let's let's dive into that a little bit, especially around this pandemic and and what's been asked and and who. Who stepped up, you know, and, and really um, made things easier as best you can during a pandemic? Yeah, I, well, I, and I, I think experts have, and and um, it's really interesting for me. I've spent a lot of my life in corporate life, I guess, working with large organisations of one description or another, and you know, I, I think technical experts have been the um, forgotten group of people, really, who are contributing to the success of a lot of organisations. You know, people. Organizations spend a lot of money on developing their leaders and, you know, the, it's always the CEOs or the CFOs that are, that are interviewed or the chief product officers um, who are interviewed in magazines and on shows like this and what have you. But um, if you delve down into some of the core customer value operations of most organizations, the people who are delivering the value and particularly, Michael, the people who are delivering the innovation tend to be the technical subject matter experts. And I, it could be IT, it could be risk, it could be finance, it could be, um, you know, science, um, we've had medical, clinic, clinical, we've had an enormous number of people on our programs, variety of um, domains. And most of those people we've discovered are 
hit kind of a technical ceiling, Michael, where, you know, they, they spend maybe five to 10 years of their life acquiring technical knowledge and superb technical knowledge by and large, the best of them. And, um, and then they kind of flatline a little bit. Um, you know, they, they end up doing the same sort of work and, and, and solving technical problems and what have you. And they don't get really the recognition um, that they deserve. They don't, they're not really as influential as they would like to be. And part of that is that they have spent all this time, you know, getting the technical skills together and, and they haven't really developed what I, we call the enterprise skills. Um, so collaboration, stakeholder engagement, change leadership, business acumen, those sorts of things that when you layer that on top of the technical stuff makes them superstars, you know, really changes through. But the pandemic, to your point, um, People have, you know, pivoted in or organisations have pivoted enormously and the people who've led that pivot has tended to be the technical experts who, um, you know, in the pre-show you mentioned, they've done things in 18 months that we they probably thought would take three or four, five or six years. And um, they've really stepped up. And, and I think if you were to do a Google search, I think the, the word expert has been used more in the last 18 months, I suspect, than the last 18 years beforehand. So what do you think, I guess I know some of this, but I'm curious your thoughts. What do you think was the tipping point for, for the experts to really seize the moment uh, and, and really take this on? Because I, I, you know, I have an idea what that is, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Because when there's times of challenges and difficult situations, you know, we see you know talent rise above all of that and really push things through. So, um, you know, what were what were some of the things that you've seen that you know really helped these experts really take the reins and and make something that was going to roll out in 2030 happen in 2020? Yeah, I, I think the question you've just asked is is worthy of global consideration really um because you know i think it's really interesting I, I think what i've seen happen is that leadership of large organizations or small organizations for that matter um, when the pandemic hit they no longer had any of the answers michael they, they didn't know what to do they'd never experienced it before and they did something that's kind of out of habit and they got their experts together and in fact their whole teams together and said what do you think we should do they asked what do you think we should do and it was the opportunity finally for the experts to step forward and say well i've had this idea for the last 20 years if you listened we could do this or we could do that or what have you and um i i think there's been a senior leadership of a lot of organizations have listened to their experts more closely than ever before and they've had no choice but to trust them and say, okay, go for it. Um, and I think not in every instance, obviously there's been some, some train crashes along the way, but, um, but in the vast majority of instances, um, you know, the technical experts have delivered um, pivot changes that have really, I mean, one of the key things working from home, which is, you know, the global phenomenon that's now not gonna go away, um, uh, you know, it was all too difficult for senior leaders. In fact, senior leaders, if you remember, um, back in say February 2020, um, would have been would not have agreed to have large chunks of their workforce working from home. They wouldn't have agreed. They wouldn't have trusted their employees to do that. And yet, all the data now suggests from from where you're 
uh, calling from from the US and also surveys that we've done here in the Asia Pacific um, and, and in Asia suggest productivity has gone up, uh, work-life balance is better, um, the quality of the work's better. Um, and, um, you know, this is something that would not have happened had it not been for COVID. And of course, all of the systems that we're using, whether it's wellness programs from HR or whether it's IT systems that, you know, work really well, like the one we're on right now, um, you know, all of these have, you know, really morphed very quickly. Remember, the one that we're on at the moment had a massive security issue in, in March 2020. It was fixed by April 2020, you know, that sort of speed of, of change. So I think it's um, people had to find new solutions. Experts had some in their back pockets and um, and stepped up. And, of course, that's meant now that leaders, I think, are beginning to look at experts and say, what else could they do, you know, if we gave them a little bit of range to do it? And that leads to next point that I want to bring up is, and you mentioned this in, in some of the information, you know, and researching the work that you do and all of that is a lot of organizations will onboard or hire new people. They will train them how to do the roles in those organizations. And that's the last time they see the training department and they're just kind of, you know, good luck and, and walk away and hope for the best. And it's such a travesty because there are some levels within organizations where professional development is ongoing. It might be because they're licensed in some type of a role and they need to yes. do that in order to keep their licensing. But many people you know, don't have those re licensing requirements to continue education. But that professional development helps those people get stronger and it highlights some skills that may have never been discussed. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yes, I think that's very true. And particularly, I think, with technical experts where um, a lot of the technical training now can be online, um, you know, or it, it still is, you know, very intense books or, or training programs for coders or scientists or data scientists. And, and those people tend to hang out in their own tribes, really, Michael, a lot of the time. So a lot of that learning, you know, gets done within the technical department. Uh, I think the reason for that phenomenon that you've just described, which is probably there is a small group that gets heavily developed, and that's typically people leaders. So um, businesses have considered that the, the secret source for corporate success or government success in terms of delivering to the community um, is having the right people leaders who can inspire their people. Um, I think that's changing. I think people are now seeing that actually it's the people who have the ability to create new value um, and innovation that are actually also well worth um, uh, investing in. And, um, you know, the learning and development departments will not thank me for saying this um, on your podcast, but um, they've been complicit because they've loved the leadership piece and what have you, and they haven't really understood technical experts. And, and a lot of technical experts have, you know, got this, unfair reputation of being difficult with people, you know, and better with machines and systems and what have you. So the the the, the whole concept has been right, well, you, you are high potential, Michael, in this organisation if in the future 
we can perceive that you will be able to lead large teams of people, your high potential. If we can't see you leading lots of extra people, then you're not your low potential. You might be a high performing expert, but you're low potential and therefore we're not going to put corporate resources into training you in, in broader set of skills. And that's that's basically been the strategy for a lot of organizations. There are obviously some very large organizations that all of, all of your listeners will know very well, um, you know, technical breakthrough companies that have gone completely the different way. You know, um, the, the most, most valuable employees in those companies, you know, in places like Amazon or Facebook or, you know, Microsoft or all of these really, you know, companies that are in reinventing our world, um, uh, you know, are the technical experts. And they have, you know, the same status in seniority as the people leaders and the business leaders. Um, and, and look at how successful they've been. But, but they are still, generally speaking, in the minority rather than the majority. But, but I, I'm, I'm very much hoping that um, the contribution that experts have made to helping us fight COVID and survive it and, and hopefully, you know, come out the other side, um, that, that will have changed people's view. And certainly in the, in the large organisations that we're working with, you know, a couple of very big global software companies, a few com uh, clinical companies, a lot of banks and what have you, I'm, I'm absolutely seeing that they're going, wow, we really need to invest in these experts and we need to hang on to them because they just saved us and they're probably going to be creating our future if we treat them properly. And the retention thing is a huge problem in all types of different sectors. You know, we're seeing in the U.S., uh, you know, some big problems as far as you know, people finding talent because they just uh, they're going or they're being very specific where they go or they're doing something completely different, and a lot of that had to do with you know they they learned some things along the way during this pandemic and they realized I've got all these skills and I've got all this talent and this desire to grow and learn. But unfortunately, the environment that I find myself in, in many of these organizations that are very similar, but unlike you know the large corporations that are you know investing in their people and doing things differently, you know they're they're looking at it's like what's the point? I might as well just do something else, uh, and, and and just go that route. So what's happening is we're seeing you know, and I speak at HR conferences and all that, and there's the big discussion is okay, how do we retain people and. They're kind of using, uh, I'll use a, a, an old automotive uh, you know, line from Henry Ford when he was building the cars and everybody said, we don't need cars, we just need faster horses. And they're the solutions that you know, many, and again, not going to make the HR people happy with me either. We're just irritating everybody today. This is great. <laughs> um, the HR people aren't going to be happy with me because they're trying to solve issues with their old tool bags and it's like no this is not going to work it's this is a new era that we can actually do things differently and let's look at that and figure out how do we bring the best out of our talent to utilize the talent that they have that they want to use and they've yeah. been kind of sequestered and saying no you, you you stay in your box you stay in your lane please and so many organizations are robbing themselves and their customers of some amazingly dynamically talented individuals that could really grow your organization to the next level. Yeah, so true. And, um, you know, so many 
so many um you know great insights in that comment because first and foremost i mean we are upsetting you know the senior leaders and and hr but in fairness to them um experts are pretty good at hiding their light under the bushel you know in in, in some ways where you know we've done a lot of we work with a lot of you know two two and a half thousand um experts in the last three or four years and i would say 80 percent of them are um uh, you know pretty introverted michael um, and um, I'd say 95% of them are not very good at describing what they do to non-technical people. Um, and 98% uh, and, and of them get pretty intolerant of people who don't have the same technical understanding as they do. So, you, you know, you add all of these things together and they come across as somewhat difficult and prickly to deal with. Um, whereas actually that's not, you know, we, it's not the case. What, what it is, is they're different. They think differently and they add value differently. So, of course, when you suddenly give them, and, and as a consequence of this sort of slightly difficult, your back room, you know, stay in your lane, as you described, or get back in your box, as you go so um, you know, typically, if you go and have a look at where the IT department is in large organizations' buildings, it's buried somewhere behind, you know, a lot of blast doors, you know, and they're not allowed out. Um, and, you know, so now we have introverts who, um, you know, like working autonomously and do some of their best work autonomously, by the way, because they need to really concentrate on, on what they're doing. And they hate interruptions and they hate, actually, the office environment is not necessarily the perfect environment for them to do their great work. Um, and now they've discovered they can be, you know, based in Wanaka in New Zealand, one of the most beautiful places in the world, and, and be, you know, having a software conference with Michael in New York, no problem. You know, um, they don't, you know, now we've separated capability from location. You know, there is this dislocation that's going on. I think, you know, that's some of what you hear about with the great uh, resignation. It's sort of a really buzzword around HR circles at the moment. Uh, you know, my sense is that a lot of that's pent up demand, uh, but, but some of it is also places like where I'm calling from, Australia, where our borders are closed and uh, so global talent can't get in. So suddenly the talent that is here is worth, you know, 30% more than it was a year ago. And so there's a few things I think going on, um, but certainly companies need to think differently now about even identifying who their talent are, Michael, because, you know, one of the big challenges is you can probably identify who a good people leader in the future might be because, you know, they have good people skills and they get on with people and they seem to get things done and they run high performance teams. They're a bit more visible, but a high performance expert, someone, an expert who's got enormous potential, much more difficult for the HR folks to really identify. And in fact, that a high potential expert might even be mis you know misbehaving a little bit you know they're a bit tough in meetings you know they're intolerant to people so um you know hr folks will think well that they're not living the values they're not being a nice person to other people they're not playing well with the other children so clearly they don't have potential actually what might be the case is they're not playing well with the other children because they're intensely frustrated about the additional value they could add if they were given the opportunity. And obviously that's our big hope as we started the podcast uh, conversation um, is that now people are looking at experts differently and saying, maybe we, we do need to open up and give them the opportunity to run at their ideas because they seem to be pretty capable of executing under pressure. One of my favorite bosses, and this goes back 21 years ago, 
now almost 22 years ago was with a, a startup organization at the time. Now they're a global organization, Internet Market Research. And I remember at 3.32 p.m. on my first day, I remember the time he came to my cubicle. And he said, okay, we're going to lay down some ground rules uh, around working here. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, here we go. Here it comes. And he leans in and he says, I don't care when you get here. I don't care when you leave. As long as you get your job done, everything's good. You let me know whatever you need, whatever you're interested. If you have ideas, suggestions, anything that you think would make things easier for you or the colleagues, follow me in some um, I'm a pager call away. I was, we still had pagers back then. That was before the <laughs> iPhone. We all yeah, had yeah. BlackBerry or RIM pagers and all that kind of good stuff. So, um, But I sat back in my cubicle after that, and I just kind of reflected on that going, I am, if I'm ever in leadership, I am totally stealing that method because that's what I've done. And anybody that I've led, it's like, what do you need to do your job? I'm going to make sure you have that. And then I'm going to get out of your way because it's your role. But be the eyes and ears. If something comes up, suggest it. There's no, you know, there might be some crazy ideas, but we're going to at least look at it and take, see if it makes sense or not. And creating that nurturing environment for people that want to grow and learn and do things just improves every aspect of your business. Yes, and and you know that you, you're quite right to steal you know that approach, and and of course you'd be sitting there inspired to think right. I want to think of a great idea. You know, I want to add value. I want I want to you know make a difference. Um, the pro- the problem is um, that as you will have probably experienced in you know potentially the rest as <laughs> you these people are few and far between, and there's no surprise, of course, that that startup has gone global because with that sort of approach. They're leveraging and would be attracting technical talent like you know, no tomorrow. I mean, Michael, the reason that we wrote the book, which is I think you know why we we came to know one another, um, is because those managers aren't um, you, you know there may be one in ten will approach you like that. I mean, I think in technical startups, IT startups, that's much more prevalent. But most technical experts work in large corporations that are still a long way away from that culture. Um, and because the leaders don't think like that, it means that the experts have to do things differently. They have to, um, you know, step up. They have to be better at articulating their value proposition. They have to be better at um, making a good business case for funds to, um, you know, build a new cap- a new program or a new system or a new product. Um, they have to be better at collaborating with people from other craft groups, other domain groups. Um, they need to understand that when they make a change to a system, that doesn't mean the change has happened. They have to go and talk to the folks who are using the change and persuade them to use the new functionality. You know, they need to be much more, and, and most particularly, they've got to stop asking their the business what they want. I, I regularly talk to IT teams Um and I asked the IT team, so how do you know what the business wants you to do for them? Uh, and their, their typical answer, Michael, is, well, we go and ask the business. And say, so, okay, well, on a scale of one to 10, how much do you know what IT could do for this business? And they go, well, you know, nine, 10, 11, you know, there's always one that says 11. Um, and, and on a scale of one to 10, how do the non-IT people in this business know, you know, how much IT could do 
um, for you know the business and particularly the senior leaders and typically the IT team you know roll their eyes and laugh and say you know they can't even operate their mobile phone properly you know maybe one or two as what so so let me get this right you know what IT could do for this business and you're going and asking the people who have no idea no clue really of this in crazy things you could do um, you're asking the wrong question of those people um, what you should be asking is what what keeps them awake at night you know what are the customers buying and why what are the customers going to want in two years time and why you know what which competitors are growing faster than us and why you need to be getting that intelligence and then bringing it back and going how can we help solve that problem and then suddenly you've gone from being a technical expert to be what we call a master expert which is the name of the book of someone who's really adding value and um you know i i, I wish every every technical expert had, had your experience with that leader um, but most don't, so they've got to make it happen. Yeah, many of us that don't get leaders like that, if we're bullheaded enough, I guess is one way to put it, we're, we'll figure out a way to do it ourselves and be you know, our own our own leader to grow and, and do the things we need to do. So I've loved this conversation. I got to talk to you for hours on this, but uh, uh, our listeners, you know, their, their attention span keeps getting shorter and shorter. So the, for, <laughs> the, for, the, the format of my show seems to work with audiences as far as people listening the whole way through. So where can people find out more about you, uh, the book and everything else you do? Yeah, so our, our website, company name is Expertunity, which is expert and unity, um, and uh, it's dot .global, um, which is what we're hoping to be. Um, the book is Master Expert. You'll find it, you know, on all of the main um, uh, book buying platforms. Um, if, uh, if, if any of your listeners know a technical expert who's stuck, or indeed they are one who's stuck, it's the perfect Christmas present, uh, Michael. Plus, on that website, there's lots of free resources. You can download all sorts of um, chapters for free and what have you. So um, in, encourage um, technical experts to, to sort of, you know, step up and, and uh, make the difference they know they can and, and anyone who knows one who's a bit stuck, help them out. Thank you so much for the invite, Michael. Really love talking to you. No, thank you. And I'll definitely have all that information in the show notes. So again, thank you for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of The Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.